Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Dana Johnson, President of the Society of Women Engineers, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on social media at SWE Diverse Podcast. Today is a special episode because we're recording this at WE22 from the conference floor. This podcast booth is powered by Hess and is located on the floor of the career fair. Today, I am joined by Nancy Post, Vice President of Embedded Software and Solutions at John Deere. I am so excited to have you here with me today, Nancy. Thanks, Dana. Great to be here. And it's just amazing to speak this morning to that group. It was so great to have you in that room. It was so energetic and full of life. I hope that you felt the same up there speaking. I absolutely did. And then the feedback throughout the day has been beyond any expectation I would have. It's just been an amazing experience. It's really fun to do. Excellent. I'm wondering if you could give us a very, very short summary of what you spoke on for those that are listening today who might not have been able to go to the keynote session this morning. Sure, absolutely. So my talk today started with a little bit of an introduction of me and my family and then moved on to a topic that I think is really important and that's emotional intelligence. And the point with that group was that they're already experts in their technical field. And so I really wanted to talk to them about the importance of emotional intelligence Give them a few tips and tricks about how to regulate their responses and really just be their best, forming brain pathways that serve them best as they go forward in their careers and in their personal life. That's great. I know that after the keynote, we had a number of questions that we were able to answer real time, but we had so many amazing questions come in that I'm looking forward to taking a little bit of time with you today to answer some of those. Now, this first one is a little bit of an oddball, but somebody really wanted to know what your favorite kind of soup was. (laughs) It is chicken tortilla, and I like to put a few chips on the top of that, too. Fritos, if I can. Oh, Fritos. I have only ever had it with the tortilla chips. I feel like I need to go get some. It's soup weather back home in Chicago, so I need to go get some tortilla soup and try it with the Fritos. There are a couple of other questions here that we had come through that I wanted to make sure we touched on. Do you have any examples from your mom that contributed to your emotional intelligence? I know that you had noted you were the youngest of 15 kids. So I have a sneaking suspicion your mom probably had a whole lot of emotional intelligence going on in that household. She did. She was an amazing woman who was calm and very kind. She had all these little statements she would make. And one of them I mentioned in the keynote today, and that was, Don't ever let your response to someone else bring you to a lower level or make it so that you couldn't be proud of your reaction. And that really, really stuck with me. Another one that she would pull out, if you, if I were complaining about everyone around me, you know, so-and-so is this and this person's irritating me. And she, one time she said to me, she goes, you know, Nancy, if everyone around you seems to be off track, it might not be them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and she would always say it in this quiet voice and just 
but she it was like a mic drop when she would make <laughs> make those statements. It's wonderful to have a person like that in your life. I'm guessing, especially early on, to help guide you and give you input on how to react to all of those situations you have growing up. And I'm sure it's helped set you up for an amazing career with the variety of EQ techniques you talked to us about today. We had a number of people that really wanted to know how you handle work-life balance. And I know you talked a little bit about balancing your family with making career choices earlier on today. But when we get down to like the nitty gritty work-life balance, I know there's no silver bullet, but do you have some tips that work really well for you? Yeah, I think to start with, you need to take care of yourself. You need to, you know, if you're under a lot of pressure and you're working a lot of hours, you need to be healthy. I've seen programs in companies. We had one in Deer a while back. They called it the corporate athlete. I mean, you need to really take care of yourself like an athlete would eat right, get enough sleep, exercise, prioritize those things that keep you fit and healthy and keep your brain active. And, you know, I think that that alone helps a ton. The other thing that I really think is people forget because they're, they're young and they're ambitious and they want, they want to move up and they want to do more, but you've got a long time. Most people work 30 to 40 years. So there, it doesn't need to be that you accept everything right away. Um, if it's not the right time for you personally, it's okay to pass on something. Keep doing really, really well. Have that executional excellence along with accountability. Keep learning new things. Or maybe if you're in that same position, so you're, being, you're really an expert, so you're really proficient or efficient at it, then you can take on some extra projects to get to know some new people and network, which is almost as good as taking on a new position. And then you'll have pent-up energy. When you're ready personally to take on more responsibility or travel, then you do it. That definitely helps. I know I'm, I'm looking at this through the lens of a mom with younger children, not super young anymore, but eight and five. And I, I waited a long time to have them. And there's advantages and disadvantages to that. I was able to be that workhorse early in my career. But now that they're at an age I want to spend more time with them, my career is getting to a point where I really want to be spending a lot of time doing that too. And, and quite honestly, there's only so many hours in a day. That's right. For better or for worse. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, my career was relatively slow at the beginning for that very, very reason. I made some choices. I actually even worked from home. I was, I think, the first year person when Josh was a baby. So 24 years ago, I worked from home two days a week because it helped me balance things, have appointments on certain days and do things like that. And it was... It slowed down my career, but looking back on it, it was um, the right thing for the right time. And that's what we need to think about. I like that. The right thing for the right time. One of the things that I do want to know, though, you've been at John Deere for more than 25 years. You just mentioned that your career started, in your opinion, a little slow. I don't think it's hindered you in the long run at all. But what sorts of roles have you held within John Deere leading up to this? Yeah, I started at John Deere in engine controls. They needed someone to come to Deere when CAN bus, which is kind of like an internet for a vehicle, was coming, we were going to be implementing that. I came in to write CAN bus software and did that not only for the engine group, but I also did it for our operating system within John Deere. So I wrote a lot of software, went up to tractors about two years later and was in the tractor division, did a lot of software and systems engineering, worked on what we called like kind of delivery of an embedded system to vehicles. I've taken a couple of different positions throughout my career as product planner. And that at Deere means you're 
planning what the future products are going to be super great for my development because it got I was able to learn a lot more about more of vehicle systems across in the mechanical side as well and about much more about the business. And one position that I took that was really great for my development was I took the position of the global quality manager for large tractors. I moved into that position right when we were going into production with a lot of IT4 vehicles. So we were challenged around quality. But while I was in that role, we came to the historic best level of quality for large tractors. So a very proud moment. Really great for me to be out of engineering and in a place where I was not such an expert and let my team really run their show, but be inspirational and make sure that we were making the right differences for the company. After that position, I went into product planning again for the entire product plan for tractors. And then I shortly thereafter took a position as the engineering director for Hay and Forage. So that was, I mentioned this morning, a really proud moment because I was the first female engineering director for a product family at John Deere. Amazing team, got to go to the field a ton and be with customers and really expand my leadership capability there. And then after that, I moved back into Intelligent Solutions Group, which is, you know, hub for common modules for electronics. And then with our smart industrial redesign, then I took this position, having bringing all the embedded controls for John Deere, both with our hardware and software networks, everything related to embedded controls on our vehicles. They're pretty much in my group. We don't have JDPS or CNF, so but really an encompassing group for embedded software and, and solutions. It sounds like quite the career for sure. A perfect segue question, in my opinion, how can you feel more confident taking on those roles that maybe you're not perfectly qualified for, especially the ones that give you butterflies, which I know is a good thing. We like to be nervous when we take new roles and, and really feel like we're getting stretched. But it's also mentally a challenge to overcome that, that fear that we're not qualified. I think you have to focus on your competencies. And when I got offered the quality manager position at Deere, I did say to the person offering the job, I'm not sure you want me. I haven't been in quality. Obviously, I've worked on quality concepts for electronics, but I haven't been in the quality group. And his response to me was, I've seen you lead change. I know how confident you are. I think you can rally the people to change quality for Deere as well as work with engineering and get quality improvements made on both the factory and in engineering. I probably think it, it didn't hurt that electronics was an area where we had quite a few quality issues. He knew I would know what we could do in the factory to help with that. You know, he really gave me the confidence to take that on. I mentioned this morning that you know, people have said, I'm not qualified. I'm positive. When I took that job, people said that. Ah, we made a pretty good change together. So I feel like sometimes you've got to take that chance and do your very best. And I think that it's important to remember the value that having a new perspective brings to some of those roles. They wouldn't want people to do the job that aren't the traditional qualified person if they didn't have a need for that new perspective. So I think that's really important. And I like highlighting the skills that are relevant. Tying back to your comments around your family, how did you manage turning down those opportunities when you were prioritizing your family? I know there's a lot of political risk that goes into turning a job down. There's also a little bit of an emotional risk, right? You put yourself out there and you're willing to consider the role, but then you have to let yourself down and say, nope, it's not the time for this. We need to do it at a different time. Yeah, I would, I had a couple of really strong mentors and I would spend time 
talking with them and saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And I appreciate it. I would always tell people, I so appreciate that you would like me to take this position at this point, but it's not right for me. It's not right for my family. And it all really in the end, I mean, that's why, why I'm working. I, I love to have the career, but I'm also working to support my family. And so I really felt like I was very open and honest. I tried to be really good in the, the positions I was in so that then those opportunities would keep coming. But yeah, I knew there was risk. There were times where I'm like, I hope this one's not the one that makes it so they won't consider me for something again. And I think the culture around that definitely evolved good. within Deer. You know, at one point it's like, well, we're not going to ask because she won't want that job because of this reason. And we were definitely, we had big conversations around, no, 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 we always have to ask if we think that person would want it. If they say, no, that's their choice. But you don't, just because they've turned down one job doesn't mean you don't ask the next time. So I think that was a great evolution for Deer. It's good to hear that evolution is happening. I hope many of our partner companies have that same evolution happening. I know you mentioned in your keynote today that you were tucked almost like in the back corner when you started <laughs> your job at Deer. When you are so isolated, both physically and sometimes it feels even within the job, what recommendations do you have for increasing your network, especially with your coworkers? Yeah, I think that joining various groups, you know, SWE is a great example. Thanks of, for the shameless plug. <laughs> is a great example of a way to connect with people, finding mentors, having, and you can have mentors in different ways. You can have a career mentor. And I think a career mentor is someone that you should be more consistent with. Because there, a relationship develops then and you can tell them things you wouldn't tell other people. You can ask them about even, you know, I tell people, if you have a mentor and you have a problem with me and that you want to like have a conversation you're uncomfortable with, talk to your mentor about it. Do that. Have those people that you can trust enough. I hope that I'm mentoring my people too, but, I, but if they can't talk to me about something, go to that mentor they trust. But you can also have mentors that get you over the hump on something, that help you through a technical issue or that help you through something you're going through that you know they'd be an expert in. So pull in the troops and network. I know with Endear, and I'm sure this is true for many females in engineering, that group of women is maybe more, they're closer than, than they would be if you weren't such a minority and leverage that. I keep, I always tell people, how can we keep that when we're no longer the minority? How can right. we be that tight and lift each other up the way that we do right now, even when we're no longer such a minority. So it's, it's fun that you talked about mentoring, because even though everybody is only listening, to me, this feels like a little bit of a one-on-one -on -one mentoring session here. <laughs> and it's interesting to do a podcast face-to-face. -face. I've never quite had that, but I'm trying to soak it up and I'm trying to not spin it into, so can you give me career advice? Because it feels like the perfect segue to that. <laughs> the next question that we have is, how do you work with people who have little empathy for others? I know this sounds like a big challenge. You know, it is a big challenge. There's a couple different things around that. One is if you can be open with them about how their style is landing for you, they just might not be aware that they're even like that. And so, you know, to me, there's always this investment in a conversation to say, hey, when we had that communication and you said this to me, here's how it landed. You don't seem to be understanding my perspective at all. And I'd really appreciate it if you could think about that. You know, we talked a lot about brain pathways this morning. Maybe that would be helping them form that brain pathway 
so they, they can start thinking about someone in a different perspective, especially if you tell them how it made you feel. Get that emotion into it a little bit. I don't recommend going too hard on the emotion because if they don't have a lot of empathy, it might turn them off or make them too uncomfortable. The other thing that I think that you can do is remember you actually don't have to let their behavior affect you. Talked about that too. You cannot change another person if they don't, if they're not open to it. So if they're not empathetic or they feel insulting to you, you can kind of look at that that emotion or that response and let it drop back on them because it is very much more about them than about you. I think that's hard to remember, but important to remember. It's a tough one. It it really is a tough one. I've worked on that for, you know, I, I mentioned it this morning. It's something that I started to develop when I was young, but I worked on that with mentees a lot. And they tell me that might be the toughest concept. I feel like that, in addition to a handful of other things you've said, I need to print out on a sheet of paper and just hang up next to my monitor. (laughs) Similar, but a little bit different. What do you recommend when dealing with really heavy issues that are outside of your influence, but are affecting you? And I would say this could be both work or just utilizing some of the skills that are the techniques that you talked about this morning. You know, from my perspective, I always try to think, okay, do I have any control over this? Is this in my scope of influence at all? And there are times when actually probably have more influence than you think, or there is a person you could go talk to. But if it is really outside your scope of influence and you can't make any change or difference about it, I try to say, okay, what are the things I can influence? And I shift my focus there. It might sound like a cop-out, but to me, it's just, it's about being responsible and not getting too frustrated about something that is outside of my span of control. I may have selfishly asked that question. I have been working very hard on if you can't control it, don't waste the energy. But it's, again, something that's really hard to do. It is, yeah. So I want to focus a little bit more on you again and just curious about what first drew you into engineering and STEM fields. It was simply that I loved math and science and it came easy to me. I, When I was younger, I didn't like writing English papers or things like that, but give me any math problem. And I loved it. I loved physics and chemistry. And so even deciding what I was going to do when I went to tech school, I literally just picked something in the field. It was literally, I was sitting at a tractor pull. Some people might not know what a tractor pull is, but I grew up Close enough to the edge of the suburbs, I know what a tractor pull is. I was sitting there with a friend who was going to tech school at the time, and I'm like, you know, I just don't know what to do. I can't, I don't know how to afford going to a four-year school. My scores are good. I could go, you know, I'm getting offers, but I'm just worried about it. And I wasn't actually sure if I wanted a big career yet. You know, it's young, you're 18, you don't even know what you want to do. And he's like, you should go to tech school. I love it. Salary, starting salary is really good for two-year degree. And I said, all right. I mean, I literally made my decision that afternoon. I was like, Ricky, that's what I'm doing. Going to school. And so I did. That I feel like coming from a family of 15, that had to be an interesting conversation to have, right? I, I don't know what level of support your mom gave you for a decision like that. Oh, my parents actually, remember, they were 65 when I graduated from high school. They didn't really, they didn't. They were fine if I went to school, but they didn't care if I went on for future education. Frankly, they probably thought I'd get married 
and have kids. I loved kids. I was always taking care of my siblings' children as I was growing up. And I do, I adore children. And so there wasn't really a lot of opinion. There wasn't encouragement. They were just sort of watching like, okay, what's she going to do? You know, at one point my dad asked me, why are you taking all of these really hard classes and trying so hard to get straight A's? And I said, well, I actually don't have to try really hard, dad. I just have to do what I need to do. You know, I mean, it's, it's really something I like to do. He just really didn't understand that. He thought it was, but he's like, oh, okay, let me do your thing. I mean, you know, but it wasn't like there was a lot of encouragement. I did, one of my brothers did take me to um, look at some universities. And so that was super great for, to have that support. And so it was a different dynamic than, of course, some of what some of my friends had. And then, you know, we didn't, we didn't have super strong encouragement either from our counselors at school. So it, but my counselor did tell me, okay, if you're going to go to tech school, I think with your grades, you can get a free ride. And I did. So I went to tech Excellent. school without, you know, and it was paid for. So and that I'm was sure awesome. Your parents at 65 were grateful for that. They were because I didn't get 10 bucks when I left the house. Right. I mean, it was, um, it was just, that wasn't something they could afford after having 15 children. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I, sometimes you wonder if you can afford it at all with two. Yeah. <laughs> I'll cross that bridge later. You, it sounds like you've had a very storied career with many accomplishments. Is there one that you're most proud of? You know, I've mentioned it already, but to be that first engineering director as a female was just an incredible honor, really. It kind of thought you were going that way. Yeah, (laughs) it was. That was pretty special. And that was one of those positions where I I was going to have to travel a lot more and there were going to be some personal sacrifices for sure. But it was such an honor. I really couldn't turn it down. If you could give any advice to our listeners who are trying to advance their career, maybe get to that engineering director role or something beyond it, what piece of advice would you give them? I always go the same way with this one. Whatever you're doing today, do it better than anyone else has ever done it. Think of ways that you can create what I call pulls in an organization. When you do really well, people start talking about it. People want you to work on their projects. Even if it's not a new job, they want to pull you in, which expands your network. It gives you more experience and it really makes your career more fruitful. I think it makes it it feel more valuable to you, but it sets you up for the future opportunities that are out there. That's definitely an amazing piece of advice as we look at your career so far and ways that we can emulate your career. We've spent a lot of time looking back on your career But what about the future at John Deere gets you excited? A lot, a lot of things in the future of John Deere. You know, we've really take it very seriously to help our customers feed a growing population. By 2050, there's, it's predicted that there'll be 10 billion people that we have to feed. And you really couldn't do that if you weren't automating job functions and making farming more efficient. So we started with our automation journey over 20 years ago with self-steering vehicles. And a lot of people don't know that. I mean, you know, cars are just starting to do this. We were doing this 20 years ago and we've been improving that technology year after year. It's a, it's a, we have accuracy within two and a half centimeters at this point. That's impressive. It's just awesome to be a part of a company that's doing things like that. We have our first autonomous vehicle in the field this fall, you know, driverless. Congrats. Thank you. It's absolutely amazing to be part of a company that's evolving with purpose. It's not an or story. I mean, we're reducing inputs. 
maximizing outputs, maximizing profitability for our customers while making life more sustainable. So being good stewards of the land, which our customers are absolutely passionate about. So, you know, it's just a really fun journey to be at John Deere while we're taking this on uh, to food, clothe, and shelter the world. It sounds like such an inspirational mission to go work for. So I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your career and to all of the John Deere folks. I hope that they're just as inspired by that mission. Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time today. You've had a busy day at Sweet Conference so far. I hope you've had a blast here. Yeah, I have had. It's well beyond my expectations. The conference itself, being able to speak this morning, the outpouring of support that I've gotten all day long, really just, I couldn't have imagined it. So thanks so much, Dana, for inviting me and for supporting everyone on their journey with SWE. I saw the outpouring of support from all of the John Deere folks. I'm sure you had plenty others from people in the hallways as you were moving about sessions during the day. I'm Dana Johnson, and from all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org. Diverse.